Hello everyone and welcome to Connected Learning TV. This is the final webinar in our August series titled Cultivating Global Entrepreneurial Learners in the Networked Age. I'm John Barloni, the Community Manager for the Connected Learning Alliance and I'll be our host for today. And throughout this month on Connected Learning TV, we've been exploring examples of both practitioners and learners leveraging the tools of the digital age to create opportunities for what John Seeley Brown would call entrepreneurial learning. And today we're going to be chatting about a really interesting program called Solutionary Congress and how it's encouraging young learners to become better global citizens as well as better problem solvers. But before we dive into our chat, let's just go over a couple quick details as usual. Uh, to those who are watching live right now, we really welcome your comments and questions either via the Twitter hashtag Connected Learning or via the Google Plus event page. And we'll do our best to address your questions here in the Google Hangout in real time. And if you're watching the recording, um, just because it's a recording and, and not necessarily live, you're still plenty welcome to add in your questions and comments and keep the conversation going there as well. And we're also chatting throughout the month in the Connected Learning Google Plus community, so please be sure to check that out. So I'm here today with David Sidwell and Zoe Weil, and I'd like to give them a chance to briefly introduce themselves. So David, do you want to start us off? Sure. Right now I'm currently a teacher at Skyview High School, but I've taught uh, across the curriculum, especially in the arts, K through 12, and uh, spent uh, many years at Utah State University as an associate professor there, and now I'm just kind of doing things that I really find valuable and fun. Thanks, David. And Zoe? Hi, everyone. My name is Zoe, and I am the co-founder and president of the Institute for Humane Education. And we believe that education is the greatest tool to creating a more peaceful, just, and healthy world. And we believe that humane education, which interconnects the issues of human rights and environmental preservation and animal protection with the goal of educating students of all ages and in age-appropriate ways to be solutionaries for a better world, will actually help create that better world. Thanks, you too, and thanks for joining us today. Um, so for a bit of background for people who might be hearing about you know, this concept of humane education or Solutionary Congress for the first time, do you want to give us a little bit of background on where the idea came from, what was kind of the, the genesis point for this program you guys are calling Solutionary Congress? Sure. So I think it started... Uh, a number of years ago when I was listening to NPR one day and I was listening to the program Intelligence Squared which is a debate program that happens at NYU and it's aired on NPR affiliates and the particular day that I was listening to it the debate question was is the United States responsible for Mexico's drug wars and I remember at the time thinking that that's so crazy to reduce something as complex as drug wars in Mexico to an either-or question about culpability. And it started me thinking, well, what's the end point? What's the goal of having that debate? So, you know, they would have a couple people on the pro side, a couple people on the con side, and then when it's over, the audience votes to say who won. And that got me thinking about debate teams in schools. And often in debate teams in schools, students are assigned either-or side of an arbitrary question. And they are taught to research and investigate and argue with the goal of winning. And again, to what end? What is the goal of that? And I can think of lots of really great goals for that. You know, there's critical thinking, there's persuasion skills, there's research skills. Those are all excellent, and I applaud them. But I thought, what would happen if instead of always thinking in this either-or term, we also began thinking, how can we solve whatever the problem is? How can we solve Mexico's drug wars? How can we solve global warming? How can we solve problems in our own schools? How can we pro solve problems in our own communities? So what would happen if we had students joining in teams in order to choose 
investigate, research, present their solutions to a problem. And then they could have competitions, and those competitions could lead to the kind of really good thinking and really good planning, both practical and viable and cost-effective, so that we could implement their solutions. So that was the genesis of it. That's great. Thanks for that info. And David, I understand you were really heavily involved in the Solutionary Congress in 2013 and kind of putting it together. So could you give us some background in terms of logistics? How does this actually work? Oh, sure. Um, you know, what we've done is we've contacted as many teachers as would, were interested and more. And uh, these teams, these teachers then make teams out of their students. And just like a debate team or, or something like that, they get these students together working on a specific project. And the students then do lots of research. They propose solutions. The solutions have budgets and timelines. And then they present these at an annual event. Um, and at this event, they can see each other's presentations as, as well as present their own. And it's been a really fun to watch high school kids debate these topics and talk about some topics that I always felt were kind of outside the realm of what high school kids think about. And if I could just jump in here, you know, when I first proposed the idea of having solutionary teams, I did it in my first TEDx talk, which is titled, The World Becomes What You Teach. And David reached out to me because he saw my TEDx talk and he loved the idea so much and he wanted to implement it. And so we said, yeah, that's great. Let's work together and you can implement it. And so that's how we partnered. That's awesome. It was, it was fun to watch her talk. You know, I'd heard her name several times kind of uh, being bandied about uh, the education world. And, uh, you know, you listen to that and you think, um, you know, it's true. Debate teams do debate, and that's a great thing, and it's valuable. And, and, but to actually to think that the, the goal of education isn't preparing people for jobs, isn't preparing people to be, you know, successful in the world, the people who are successful in the world are the people who solve problems around them. And so I just thought it was a top-notch idea. And it was, it's been fun to work with them ever since. And so, um, this can be a question for either David or Zoe here. What kind of you know skills or mindsets do you see these student participants, you know, growing, learning, expanding when they're doing Solutionary Congress, and you know, even afterward as kind of a a fallout of it? You know, let me, if I could just really briefly attack that one first. Um, in speaking with students at the Congress, the two years we've done it, um, all of them, I mean a lot of the students when I talk to them have said that they really enjoy making a difference. They know they're making a difference here and to them it's some, it matters more and a lot of them have taken real ownership over some of their solutions uh, to the extent of forming nonprofit organizations. You can find numerous uh, websites and Facebook pages where their projects are being highlighted and many of which still continue a year or two after they're they presented so they're still active in doing the things they're doing but to me the, the key word there was uh, the phrase I guess was make a difference it's fun to see when kids get excited about learning because they know that they are doing something that's worthwhile And Zoe, anything to add there in terms of some of the you know skills or mindsets you've seen growing in kids that have participated in Solutionary Congress? Well, you know, it will be some of the very same skills that they would get from debate. So they still have to research and investigate and use very good critical thinking. But now they have to add on creative thinking. They have to be innovators. They have to be problem solvers. It's not enough to just be able to be a persuader that your side is right. You actually have to gain the skills of problem solving. And you have to do it in ways that are very practical because you're not going to win if your problem solving is totally pie in the sky and doesn't have legs to it. And then I think that the important thing that David just said is 
the skill of finding out that what you do matters may be one of the most important skills that we need young people to cultivate. I'll, I'll share a quick story with you. A couple of years ago, I was speaking at a middle school. And it was a private, progressive school in an affluent community in Connecticut. And I was talking to the fifth and sixth graders. And I asked them to tell me what they thought were the biggest problems in the world. And they listed a whiteboard full of problems. And those, what they listed was not much different than any list that I had generated from adults or from adolescents, high schoolers. So here were these fifth and sixth graders, 10 and 11 year olds, who understood all the real big challenges that we face in the world. And the next question I asked them was, raise your hands if you can imagine us solving these problems. There were 45 kids in that class, and of those 45, only a handful, only about five, raised their hands that they could even imagine us solving our problems. Now remember, this was in an affluent community. It was a progressive private school. These were privileged kids. These were not kids who might have trouble imagining us solving our problems because of the lives they were leading, you know, lives of poverty and despair. Not at all. And, and that was one of the most shocking and horrifying moments in my career, my 25-year career as a humane educator, because I thought, if young people can't even imagine us solving our problems, what's going to motivate them to try? Well, Solutionary Congress lets them try and succeed. And it paves the way for them to be thinking then, as they graduate, whatever careers they go into, they can be thinking, oh, I, have, I am responsible for ensuring that the systems within my chosen career are healthy and humane and just and sustainable. And they'll be thinking that because they will have learned that. And they will have known that they can be efficacious, if that's a word. That works, that works for me. <laughs> so playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, um, so you kind of talked about posing this question to especially young learners, you know, trying to get them to think you know, more on a global scale of how they could impact the world. So, you know, majority of kids, I would say, are never going to maybe live or study outside of the state or country they were born in. So for both of you, again, this kind of open-ended, why have kids focus on, you know, areas or regions or problems that are outside their immediate sphere? Kind of what's... What's the draw there? What's the what's going to make a, a student a better person if they're tackling global issues versus local issues? That's a great question, and it's not. This is not an either or. So some students, some teens, will focus on very local issues. Some students may focus on an issue right in their school, and some students may focus on global warming. And the key is, is not to tell them what issues they should focus on, but let that happen organically from that team and their interests. And the reality is that global warming, poverty, uh, the fact that we may lose half of all species on Earth by the end of this century, those global issues affect everybody, no matter where you live. And sometimes they affect the poorest people the most. In fact, I would argue that they almost always affect the most disenfranchised people the most. So being able to bring an awareness of global issues right down into your team that you want to tackle that, I would say, is a really wonderful thing for the most disenfranchised people to do. At the same time, you know, dealing with a problem in your cafeteria or an asbestos issue in your school, well, that could be a great thing for those same kids to do or a different team in that same school to do. We need everybody working on issues, and we need them to find where they're passionate about. Yeah, I would agree. And the, the mode of thinking of problem solving, I think, is certainly transferable as well. Of, the, uh, of all the presentations last year at the Solutionary Congress, as I recall, about three-fourths of them were local. And there were a few that were, that were, out, that were out of our country, out of the region. Um, and those, I'm not sure why they chose those. I didn't ask the students that. But certainly the ones that were local were based on things that they'd seen. And, and they really tried to get to the heart of some of these problems. In fact, one of them was simply, one of their solutions was simply to... Uh, 
to, to give a compliment every day. And so they were trying to encourage people to give a compliment every day. And so they put posters and they put all kinds of things all over the school so that you could you could write a compliment or you could tell someone and, and write your name. And pretty soon the whole school was involved giving everyone compliments and giving other, everyone kind of uh, pep advice, you know, motivating everybody. And and then they actually took a little, they did a pre-test and they took a, a post-test uh, two weeks later just to see what the nature of the school was like. And their idea then, after this initial research, which was very action-based, um, they decided they would try to, a, a more a, a wider campaign to have people give positive comments to each other. And so they've been trying to get this uh, advertised out. And I believe they are still going strong at that school and uh, with those students. So that's kind of a fun thing where it's local. It's a it's a it's a problem that um, they're trying to solve through really deep means. They're not they're not worried about band-aid issues. They're thinking this kind of giving people compliments is going to solve a lot more problems down the line than just giving compliments. So that's just a local example, but has it might have a global effect later on. And that's very cool that you know they're building in a reflection period for themselves as well, not just, hey, this is our project, and you know now we're done with the competition, and and that's that. Um, I have to say that's one of the more esoteric projects of last year. <laughs> Most of them were we're going to fix this problem, we're going to uh, help stray dogs, we're going to um, provide arts to the homeless, that kind of thing. So this was, I thought, this was a really unique. At first, I thought, well, how can you even have a budget with something like that? But they managed. I mean, you have to when you buy a website, you got to pay for this and have a timeline, and and so it it really turned out to be a really nice, a really nice presentation. Very cool. And we've mentioned the kind of competition aspect of Solutionary Congress a couple times. So I was wondering if we could learn a little bit more in terms of, you know, what are these teams actually producing and presenting and you know how do you decide who's won or you know I don't want to say lost but who's won or not won <laughs> um, well the whole idea of competition we've debated amongst ourselves as well whether we should actually have competition but when we probe students they overwhelmingly love the idea of competition so we just decided to go with what the youth were telling us and went with it they're judged on several things. Um, first, of course, they have a they have a 15-minute presentation, and most of those presentations are accompanied by a PowerPoint or Prezi or something like that, where they can see pictures and present their ideas in a multi um, multimedia fashion. They're also required to submit a small booklet, and uh, the rules state that the booklet can be no more than 12 pages, because the judges have to look at it, <laughs> and and in that booklet and in their presentation, they're, they're judged on their, uh, their first the presentation, uh, the, the efficaciousness of the project, whether it's really going to work or not, or might work or not, the viability of it. They're judged on their budget and whether the budget seems realistic or not. Um, they're judged on the timeline and whether the timeline seems realistic. They're also, we also take a look at their research and their bibliography, we look at the quality of the sources that they're using and the, not, not really the quantity, but um, uh, look at their, their bibliography pretty carefully as well. So between all those things, uh, we have the basis of which to form an opinion and we usually have three judges in a room who then uh, combine their opinions together to come up with a judgment at the end of the day. Gotcha. And as a kind of follow-up to the competition phase, I'm not sure which of you had mentioned it before, but there's actual, you know, follow-up. You have teams and students that are taking their projects and kind of running with it afterwards. So I was just wondering if you had a little bit more um, stories to tell of students kind of taking their solutions, running with it, and if you see those projects kind of being you know, flashpoints or spark points for kids being more curious and about the world around them. Well, I'll take that one. The um, 
we have had, uh, from the 12 teams last year who participated in Utah, uh, three of them actually formed nonprofit or, or were in the middle of forming nonprofit organizations while the presentations were taking place. So that's become a long process with the IRS, but um, they, were, they had started that process, and that was really fun. And like we, we, mentioned, we mentioned this one project where they were trying to give polite comments. Another team was they were hoping to um, help a small village in India that had, had recently had some devastating ecological impacts due to uh, factories and things like that. So it was, it was, it was human-caused uh, concern for this, for this village. Um, and they are, I think, still going with it. The last time I heard, they had been working with their parents and new students at the school to continue to fundraise. They realize now that fundraising is not as easy as they had first determined. Um, in their budget, you might be interested to know, in their budget they had assumed that Delta, which is the hub of air, the airline hub here in the Salt Lake City area, they had assumed that Delta would give them all free tickets to fly to India. Um, they found out that that's not really uh, a common occurrence for any airline to give free tickets to high school kids wanting to do good across the world. So then they had to really dig down and figure out, well, where can I, where can we get money? Because we have to buy all these shovels and things like that. Um, the judges' comments, plus parents and others, they realize now that they can probably get shovels cheaper in India than to buy them here in America and, and take them with them. So just things like that, they're learning the practical side of trying to figure out how to solve problems. Um, there were a couple of uh, there were a couple of presentations last year on on the mistreatment of animals that were quite impressive, and we had several students who are now uh, vegetarian or maybe even vegan because of their presentation, and they had convinced themselves that that, that was a really great thing to do. So uh, luckily, I think all the students liked vegetables before, but now they're really eating them a lot. Um, so that was fun. So that's great. And uh, not that not, I mean, not that you have to be a vegetarian to be a solutionary, but for these kids, they had done research, and they had changed their lives because of the research and the presentations that they had done. Likewise, another another uh, team that spoke on the same subject, they were trying to get. Um, some information to school kids across the state. And again, because of feedback from judges, uh, parents, and their school coaches, um, th their, their approach was to go to uh, various school districts to present information about these things. But the, mostly, it, it, it was less about uh, vegetarianism than it was just about the mistreatment of animals. And, and I think that one of the judges mentioned that you know you how many school districts are there and do you really think you're going to be able to get to all of them and so they got to have they had to be creative again but this is again after the presentations were complete and the competition was over they uh, they, they they decided that they would have to meet with their state representatives and their county and and city representatives to see if that would be a better choice in order to get information out to uh, to kids and uh, so I was really pleased that these kids are still working and still thinking about the things they have done. Um, I, you know, if a third, if a fourth of our twelve uh, teams last year had formed nonprofit organizations and are moving forward, that's just that's twenty-five percent of the kids. And if I were to, if I were to say that, if I were to teach a drama class, I teach drama a lot. If I were to teach a drama class and 25% of my kids decided they wanted to major in drama or be, or be associated with theater in some way, that's a huge percentage because there are so many excellent fields out there and the world has so many needs. But to do something and to have that much commitment mm -hmm. after it's over, I just think is outstanding. And that's also great to hear, kind of, you know, hearkening back to something Zoe had touched on, is the actual practicality behind these projects. It's not just, 
okay, we're going to solve global warming by doing X, Y, Z, and we're done. It's, you know, teaching them, okay, what are the processes in place? Who are the power players? What kind of channels do you have to go through? So I imagine that's very cool learning for them outside of the classroom as well and kind of learning about real how the real world works. So now, Dad, you know, a lot of these a lot of these kids were in, were in eighth and ninth grade who presented and they're all planning on coming back this year. So they know things now they did not know last year. And by the time they're seniors, they're going to know more about running a nonprofit organization. Or they're going to know more about having an effective budget or effective practical plans to solve a problem than I think 99% of, of the adults in the world. So <laughs> they're just really leaving school with real, uh, not just esoteric cool knowledge that I mean I think everyone used that is valuable but they're leaving school with practical skills to get things done it's going to be exciting to see what they do mm -hmm. very cool and you know speaking of the school aspect and this is more for Zoe since I know you've done a, a bit more of the kind of higher level strategic thinking around this is Solutionary Congress something that you know sits entirely outside the formal education sphere? Is this kind of just an extracurricular activity add-on? Or is there a way to work at least the vision of it into you know the normal K-12 school day? Great question. And you know, when I presented this idea of having solutionary teams in my TEDx talk, it was one idea among many that I presented in a 17-minute TEDx talk. And it's one that's gotten implemented because David saw the TEDx talk and said, yeah, let's, I'm going to do this. And now it's spreading. Um, but it's just one idea of many. And in fact, in, in terms of the work that the Institute for Humane Education is attempting to do, is we're trying to transform education entirely. And we have many, many ways that we're going about this. So Solutionary Congresses is one of those ideas. We're in the midst right now of planning the opening of the first pre-K through 12 Solutionary School. And the first one is going to be in New York City. We are creating a curriculum that will be Solutionary focused. So all of the core areas, subject areas, the STEM areas, the humanities areas, arts, phys ed, uh, foreign language, all of them will have a solutionary lens brought to them, will have a solutionary focus. And the curriculum that we're creating is going to be open source, so it will be shareable with people across the globe, teachers and schools across the globe. So right now in the United States, if you go to the Department of the U.S. Department of Education and you read the mission statement, the mission of the United States Department of Education is to prepare students for global competitiveness. Now, we believe that that is not a big enough goal for today's youth or the world that they are facing. A world with global warming, a world with 7 billion people, each of whom needs access to adequate food and clean water and a home and a job, and 1 billion of whom don't actually have access to adequate food and clean water. And, you know, as we face the environmental challenges, the poverty challenges, the conflict resolution challenges in the world that are very different from challenges in previous generations, we need our students to have these tools. So this idea is not an add-on to the curriculum. It's meant to be infused within the curriculum. So in other words, we know how incredibly overburdened teachers are and they're teaching to these tests. We don't want to be another add-on. What we want to do is we want to offer teachers the ability to bring these issues into their curricula so that it's relevant for their students, so their students really do graduate as solutionaries, which we think should be the purpose of education, to prepare students, to give them the knowledge and the tools and the motivation so that they can be conscientious choice makers and engaged change agents to create humane and sustainable and just systems. So how do we go about doing that? Well, if people go to our website, humaneeducation.org, we have an award-winning resource center there, which has hundreds of free downloadables, and including about 100 free downloadable common core aligned activities that teachers can use and fit into the curriculum from you know, kindergarten through 12th grade. 
we have a graduate program. It's an online graduate program through Valparaiso University. We have an MED degree, an MA degree, a PhD, so that people who want more training in this can do this work. We also have online courses and other professional development workshops. And so we want to help teachers wherever they are and schools wherever they are to really bring this into the classroom. Solutionary Congress is one of those ideas. And it's a really exciting one because any school can immediately adopt it. And on our website, there is a Solutionary Starter Kit so that anybody who goes to humaneeducation.org and wants to use that starter kit to do just what David has done, we have jointly produced that starter kit for any school to use. That's awesome, and that is a, a ton of resources to get people started, so that's great. Um, so in addition to all the different you know, resources and outlets you just mentioned, and again, this is kind of open-ended for either of you, what advice would you have for educators that would want to kind of pick up the ball and run with it here in terms of you know, maybe logistics or challenges that they would have to think through before starting a Solutionary Congress in their own school or, or community? What has to happen, you know, first, second, third? I think uh, as, a, as a teacher, as a full-time teacher at a high school right now, um, one of the things I like is just simple simple materials I can look at. And, I, you know, one of the things I first did when I, when I went to the site that Zoe just described, I downloaded about 12 or, 15, 12 or 13 lesson plans, and I immediately started to be able to use those in almost any class I was teaching. And I could adapt that to age, but it's nice to have some ideas and a, and a flow-through of thought of the lesson and I think a lot of teachers like that. And so if you're just curious, if you're a teacher and you're just curious about, well, what does this mean? What is humane education? Do I have to be a humane educator to be able to do a solutionary team? Um, go and check out some of the lessons because they're pretty easy to incorporate. I incorporate them in my uh, writing classes. So I teach English and language arts writing for 11th graders. And I've been able to incorporate a lot of those things into writing. And so we can work on paragraphs, and we can work on how to write a five-paragraph essay and all these different things. And I can do that in the context of thinking about humane and solutionary types of topics. Um, however, I think it's even easier than that, perhaps, where you can just say, well, I want, if, if you're the kind of teacher that likes to give students things they like to value and and give students things where they don't have to say, What's, wh why are we learning this? I get that a lot in my classes. Why are we learning this? Well, here is a solutionary uh, package that you can look at instantly and, and be able to tell students about. And I think they'll get really excited about it. My students were quite excited about the prospect of doing such a thing. So that kit, I guess, is the first thing I would do after perhaps some... Uh, some lesson plans and things like that, lesson materials you can find on the Humane Education site. But the Solutionary Kit will certainly, we've spent a whole year working on it, and it has examples, and it has great things, but it's still very concise, and it's a nice way to just jump in and start getting things done. And in terms of the actual a Solutionary Congress competition. What is some of the background work that goes into that? Um, I noticed that the kind of the funding chart on the Humane Education site was, you know, surprisingly low for you know team entry fees and things like that. Well, what we've been doing is, um, I have to say, it's just a practical concern on my part. My sister happens to be involved with debate, and She's she's an award-winning. Well, her her team. Let me just say this: her team won third place internationally this year, this last year. So she does really well at debate meets. And I turned to her and said, "How do you run a big event like this?" Um, I had helped to run things like the, the the history fair. If you heard of the the National History Fair, that's where kids present um, topics on on history and they do it in various means. So I'm familiar with that. I wanted to get the debate end. 
She actually had a working network of active debate coaches. She said, this sounds fun. I think debate teachers would like this. And so we sent out the word and we got some response and, and we had some interested people right off the bat. So um, uh, I now I lost my train of thought. But anyway, uh, that's all right. The, uh, just the, 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 the practical end of debate kind of helped form the prices and things like that just because those were similar prices to what they've been paying to go to debates. And so we thought, well, the kids are used to paying those prices. Let's do that. So, Zoe, David, kind of take me five, ten years into the future in terms of, you know, Solutionary Congress. How has it grown? Has the, you know, vision or mission changed at all? How much is it integrating into the visionary school in, in New York and and how has that structure changed for the better? Kind of give me a thought on what the roadmap is looking like. Uh, well, I'll jump in with that one. So in five years, our um, solutionary school in New York City will be starting its high school. So it will begin with a pre-K through six and then um, by year five we'll be starting the high school. And what I'm imagining is um, by then there will be other solutionary schools that will be opening. So solutionary schools will naturally have these solutionary teams working. But by five years there will be many, many, many schools. And I would like to say most schools will have a solutionary team. Just like most schools will have a debate team, I would like to see most schools having a solutionary team. And that the the local competitions and the state competitions will lead to a national competition and maybe in five years we'll have international, maybe that's a little further out, but at the national competition, who's going to be in the audience? The audience will be filled, let's, let's have the national competition in Washington, D.C. So the audience can be filled with legislators who are there to learn good ideas for solutions. And the audience will be filled with social entrepreneurs and investors, people who want to actually invest to implement these solutions. And so in five years, we're going to see many of these solutions being implemented and solving problems. And so if you could picture this, any place where there are these teams happening, any schools that have opened it with a solutionary focus, if you ask the question to any student in that school, can you imagine us solving our problems? Not a single one would say no. They would all say yes, because they will know that they can. And that's probably the most important image to me, is all the students raising their hand at that question. Um, more than how many, are we, how many states are represented at the international competition at that time, or national competition at that time. Um, to me, that's that's really true. I concur with, with Zoe's vision. Um, this year, we're actually even discussing the possibility of having national competition this year, just because we know of several sites around the country that are, that are joining and having a competition of their own. And uh, most of them are in single states, and so it would be fun to get these teams together and have our first national competition this year, perhaps in late May or early June. But we're still seeing what happens. Um, but we're certainly planning for that contingency. Perfect. And so kind of going back to a little bit more of a, a theoretical question, I was reminded and reading up a little bit more about Solutionary Congress, this piece back in June from Edutopia by Susie Boss that kind of posed this question, you know, what if the what if we made more room for what if questions and what if the classroom did not have walls at all and I was just wondering I know it's been a little bit of a, a short time frame in terms of you know research and being able to draw conclusions from you know what participants are thinking but how have you seen some of the students and participants taking what they've learned and actually applying it to you know their their formal education space how is it improve the, the way they learn or the way they think about learning and especially how learning can happen you know outside of school not just within those four walls. Well I think we've described some of those projects already as they're kind of moving forward but um, you know to think of the school without walls I mean I love that phrase 
and and as I interestingly enough, as I as I chat with these students, I'm, I'm thinking back now to some of my discussions with them and interviews with them, and and many of them mentioned uh, not the research they did in the library, but going to a certain place and talking with a certain person and calling a certain person on the phone or and I'm, I'm, these things are now coming to me a little bit in my in my memory, and to me that indicates that you know no longer are they the teacher's not in front of them telling these things. They are in charge of their own learning. They are moving forward with specific tasks they've given themselves, and now they're solving practical problems as well as understanding the underlying um, motivations behind the problems, the underlying causes and roots that are taking place. So. Uh, I, I'm not sure how to wrap my hand around your question totally, but I do I, I do think that this does take students beyond the classroom. Um, I imagine more of their meetings were at someone's house over pizza than they were over a desk at a school, which uh, to me is that's great. And I would just add that the whole solutionary school concept is uh, a school whose walls are, are very permeable. And this first school that's going to be opening in New York City, and New York City is going to be part of the classroom. The students will be working with people in New York. They will be solving problems in New York. They will be doing internships. They will be learning skills. We want all of our students who are interested to graduate with a certificate in some solutionary career. So maybe that's solar engineering, or maybe that's permaculture and organic farming, or maybe that's any number of career-focused uh, visions for themselves, but that have a solutionary lens. And of course, New York City is a very rich environment for doing that, but that can happen anywhere. And so any place where we're going to have solutionary congresses, or we're going to have solutionary schools, you are going to have those students walking out of that school and interacting with the community and the larger community. And when we think about the Internet age, I mean, what's, what's shocking really about the fact that those middle school students couldn't imagine us solving our problems is that never before in recorded human history have we had such incredible capacities to solve our problems. I mean, children, even low-income children, often have cell phones, smartphones, and on that little device is the ability to access all of human knowledge and to communicate and collaborate with people instantaneously across every border in order to work together to solve our challenges. That's pretty remarkable. And simultaneously, we often, in the midst of all the problems that we face that we're inundated with, we often fail to realize that we've never lived in less violent, less discriminatory, or less cruel times. That, yes, the problems that we face are really challenging, and they could be potentially catastrophic if we don't address them. But there is so much potential for solving our challenges, and that little computer is that permeable membrane to the world that means that no school anywhere anymore has just walls around it. So true. And you know, I'm also reminded. You know, you talked a little bit about in the school, uh, specifically having access to, you know, adults, mentors around the city. And I was just wondering what both of you considered to be a you know a good mentorship model for either Solutionary Congress, where you have teams kind of working together, or for the Solutionary School, which would be, I imagine, a little bit more formalized and kind of set throughout a year, but should adults be kind of on standby and just there to help out when they're asked, or are you imagining something a little bit more involved and hands-on? Well, as I watch teachers as they prepare their teams, uh, they go about it in various ways, but you know, I've, I've got to see some of these teachers personally and and when walk into the classroom, it's difficult to find the teacher sometimes, or sometimes the teacher's down the hall, and uh, and yet the kids are very engaged and they're doing their work and they're researching and chatting and and often uh, with enthusiastic voices. 
And to me, that's a signal that, sure, we may have a formal school where a teacher is responsible for a classroom, teacher responsible for curriculum, and making sure students learn certain things. But uh, I know in my own situation, my best courses and my best my best learning takes place when the principal comes in and says, "Where's Doctor Sitwell?" <laughs> and and I'm I'm off in my office or I'm doing something or I'm helping a, a certain student do a certain problem that they just couldn't figure out the answer to. I mean, they're still new to even though they have technology and uh, they have their phones, often since birth almost. Um, you know, they still need research skills and they still need they still need to learn how to write and how to communicate with each other effectively. And we can, as teachers, demonstrate and model that, um, as well as coach our students in doing that. But can you, can you, I hope you can kind of see kind of the, the image of, of a teacher going around, what problems do you have, what questions do you have? Well, you might try this avenue, you might try looking here, you might try looking there, and then moving on to the next group that's working on a different problem. Well, you might try asking this guy. You know, my neighbor actually asked that same question, and he was thinking about that. Talk to him. And so it's just a fun, It's to me, it's a delightful way to teach because I know that I'm, I know my students are learning more than if I were lecturing or doing something else. And I know my students are excited about the learning, which is maybe that's why they're learning more. But also, uh, to me, it's, it's a little easier to teach, quite frankly, because my students are in charge of coming up with their own curriculum. I just have to double check to make sure that certain things are in place so that they can pass the unfortunate tests that are before them. And so, go ahead. I, I would just add that when we imagine the opening of the Solutionary School, all solutionary schools will have solutionary learning centers that are part and parcel of the school. So the school will be open to the community. And a lot will happen in the evenings, and will happen on weekends, and will happen during vacations, where community members and experts in various fields will be sharing ideas for solutions. And so there will be such a relationship with the community, and with experts in different fields, and with innovators, so the students will have relationships with those people inevitably. They will be part of the school. And some of them may be parents, and some of them will be people we reach out to. And of course, the students themselves are going to be solutionaries, so they will be mentoring each other. You know, you can just imagine seniors who have gone through this whole curriculum and are very knowledgeable and have solved problems and have this incredible multimedia portfolio that they're going to be presenting as part of their college applications, demonstrating what they've done, and they're also going to be showing that they've been working with the middle school students or the younger children and helping them along. And I think mentorship is going to be very organic and part and parcel of what it means to have a solutionary community. That's great to hear. And you know, you talking about older kids mentoring younger kids, I'm reminded a little bit of you know, John C. John C. Lee Brown talked a lot about the you know one room schoolhouse being kind of one of those amazing examples of you know kids teaching each other is actually a really good way for them to learn. So seeing that in kind of the the 21st century version of that is awesome. Yeah. So hard to believe we're already kind of getting close to the end of our conversation here. So I wanted to see if there was anything that you know we had not touched on yet, or if there was something either of you wanted to bring up in a way of you know final words or advice to those who are watching this live or or the recording and and want to try out Solutionary Congress for themselves. I might just add something on to a question you asked before. Sure. And almost no matter what subject you teach. Um, but I, we're thinking especially some of the language arts or some of the social studies courses. You know, these are natural places for teams to kind of self-arise if students have a little say with what they with what they want to learn. And so I don't think it has to be an extra duty of a teacher to have an after-school club or anything like that. I think this could naturally arise out of a classroom if you have special projects. I know a lot of teachers at my school 
they ask students to come up with their own project for the class. And it has to be related to the class, etc. But you know, here is a great example of something that applies to almost to almost every field, but especially those that concern humans, and especially those that concern communication in some way and teamwork. So I'm looking at again at my school, just practically speaking, a lot of the social studies courses and language arts are especially conducive to this. And I would just reiterate that the Institute for Humane Education is here to help, and we want to enable teachers to bring this solutionary curriculum, solutionary congresses, solutionary thinking to their students. And we have lots and lots of ways to help teachers, so I hope people will go to our website, humaneeducation.org, and they'll get the starter kit, and they'll download the activities, and they'll even look into our graduate programs. And I guess the only um, other thing that I would invite people to do is to watch my first TEDx talk, The World Becomes What You Teach, and then perhaps to share some of my TEDx youth talks, How to Be a Solutionary and How Will You Answer This Question, uh, which were done for a high school audience and a middle school audience, respectively, and share those with youth because they, you know, they're short. They're, they're 11-minute um TEDx talks that you could share with youth who that could really excite them about their role in doing this work. That's perfect. Thanks for sharing that with us. And I'd say that pretty much wraps us up here. Um, again, this has been the final webinar of a month-long series on ConnectedLearning.tv. And if you want to check out the entire archive from the month, um, that website is www.ConnectedLearning.tv. And just because this is the final webinar and, you know, our 60 minutes are up here, that doesn't mean that our conversations just have to, you know, end or stop. If you're checking this out as a recording, uh, please feel free to leave your comments here on the page or your questions. And you can keep the conversation going as well on Twitter using the connected learning hashtag. And I believe you just heard Zoe mention if you would like to check out more resources that can you know, help you start up a solutionary congress or a solutionary curriculum in your own network, your own community, your own practice, check out humaneeducation.org. And uh, if you'd like to know about upcoming webinars that are happening on Connected Learning TV or other Connected Learning highlights from the broader community, visit, again, that website, connectedlearning.tv, and sign up for our email newsletter. And again, David, so thank you so much for coming on and letting us know a little bit more about the vision and, and the work behind Solutionary Congress, and definitely look forward to hearing more about the Solutionary School coming up. Great. Thank you, John. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.